When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, we're back with our third ever episode of Rosie's House of Hockey. This week we have Madison Packer on the podcast. Madison, say hello. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for coming on. We've done, uh, this is the, the third official of our four-part miniseries. Uh, we're going over pretty much everything Riveters, but let's learn a little bit about you. So you went to school uh, in Wisconsin. We were talking previously to the, podca- uh, to the podcast about how much snow you got comparatively to here. What was it like uh, going to such a big hockey school like Wisconsin? Um, it was some of the best years of my life. Uh, part of the reason that I chose that school is a big 10 school. Um, so the football games, um, the, the athletic community was super tight knit. Um, and obviously lots of snow, it was close to home. So it had a lot to offer and really made my decision easy when I was kind of evaluating the process and where I wanted to go. Well, <sighs> so what was the tournament exactly you'd be playing in for Wisconsin, just for people out there that might not know? The tournament? Yeah, so was there the like... Frozen Four? Yeah, I guess the Frozen Four. Would that, that, that would yeah, be... Yeah, we played... Yeah, we played in the Frozen Four. I played in three Frozen Fours. Uh, we missed out my junior year, uh, but won a national championship my freshman year and then played in a couple of WCHA championships, uh, which was our conference. Uh, but the big one was always the Frozen Four. How often do you chirp... Rebecca Russo for her having to go to Minnesota. <laughs> uh is actually one of my good friends. So uh, we, she actually, I don't think liked me very much in college, uh, but we <laughs> didn't know each other. Um, so there's a few funny stories there, but um, we're, like I said, we're best friends now. So. I'd, I'd chirp all the time. Kidding me. Hockey <laughs> robberies like that. Like I always, I always imagine like, for example, the New York Rangers have a ton of guys from Boston but almost none of them played together in college. So I always just wonder in practice if the entire time it's just like Boston College yelling at Harvard, yelling at BU, all that good stuff. Uh, yeah. I think Kessel has, has the leg up on everybody. She won three championships, maybe four. I think she won three. Um, so that was a tough pill to swallow, but she's also Amanda Kessel, so we were happy to have her. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty good reasoning. Yeah. Yeah, not not yeah. bad having the best castle on your squad. It usually does well for you. For sure. So uh, according to your Wikipedia, you were one of the first people signed by the Riveters. Uh, how was that process like for you? Or rather, what was it like for you? Yeah. Uh, so I actually got signed by Danny Ryland back when she wore the hat of commissioner and also general manager of the Riveters when we were in uh, New York at that time. Um, but I was I had left school. 
uh, was working back in Michigan and got wind of this, you know, professional league that was starting and they were having, they held open tryouts. Um, so I think that they recruited some people and then they had open tryouts in all these different areas. And I was in uh, my hometown in Detroit at the time. So they were uh, conveniently having a tryout in Windsor. So I was like, all right, I'll go up and see what this whole thing is about. So I went out um, and they grabbed four or five of us uh, after the tryout and said, you know, there's a few people upstairs I want to talk to you. And I was the last one that got spoken to, but I overheard the conversations before me and um, it was kind of, you know, oh, we're having another round of tryouts. They're going to be, I think it was in Boston or New York, uh, was going to be the second round of tryouts. It was going to be a two or three day process. You know, these other players got an invitation to that second tryout. And I was thinking in my head, I was like, well, I have a full-time job now. Like I can't really, you know, take three days off of work to go out and see if I can make a team. Um, but I was lucky. Danny came over and offered me a contract. Um, and so I went back to my boss and I was like, Hey, I've got this opportunity. And um, my company was actually super generous in allowing me to, to work remotely. Um, so I moved out to New York and uh, I got lucky. I guess Danny offered me a contract on the spot. So. That's, that's one thing I think that goes under the radar a little bit with the, with the NWHL. All, all of you guys are working, maybe not traditional nine to fives, but you have day jobs and how difficult is it balancing your team responsibilities with whatever other responsibilities you have outside of work? We're not at a point yet where you guys can just be full-time hockey players. Yeah. So I think I have a newfound appreciation for that struggle and balance because like I said, previously I was working remotely. um, And now I just started a new job uh, first week of January in an office. Uh, so I'm in an office every day from 9.30 to 5.30, and then I've got to gear up and go to practice. Um, and it's tough. I mean, at, at the end of the day, you're exhausted, but it's what you have to do to pay the bills and, and you know, still survive. There's some players that are in school. Um, and there's some players that uh, work, I think, you know, just weekend jobs and things like that, but they're only out here for um, part of the season or for part of the year, just, just for the season, and then they go back. Um, but especially in, you know, Connecticut, you know, the new Newark area, then those are expensive places to live. So it's kind of the only option to be able to play is to have a second job. Do you ever have fun stories to your coworkers explaining how exactly you got your brand new bruise that is in a location on your body that you can't exactly hide at the office? (laughs) Well, I don't, I don't know if I've played, I may have played one game since I got my new job. Um, but I work for a really small company, uh, so not yet, but I think that they're all going to come out to a game here, uh, in the next couple of weeks. So we'll get oh, them awesome. to be fans of the league. <laughs> how, how does travel work with your team? Like, uh, say for example, when do you actually end up traveling? Like the Saturday, the day before, uh, say you're not playing at home. It depends where we go. So if we're going to Boston or Connecticut, uh, we travel same day. When we go to Minnesota or Buffalo, we travel the day before. For me, I live in Stamford, so it's Connecticut is a home game for me. Um, right, right, got but it. everywhere else, we travel the day before. Well, uh, speaking of Connecticut, uh, I happen to notice that your 2B spouse is playing for the Connecticut Whale. What is it like playing against uh, someone you probably live with? 
She actually doesn't play anymore. She she retired in the at the end of last. That's season. called that's called uh, great great research by my part. It's, <laughs> it's an amazing job by me. <laughs> no worries. She still is very involved on social media, and she runs the Players Association, so she still is involved in the league. Um, she runs the whole PA. Um, so she's secretly a Riveters fan, but has to be a fan of the whole league. But we played against each other last year, um, and it was it was fun. There was kind of the we, last year we had the upper hand on the whale, so it made uh, dinner afterwards a little awkward. But she was always good about it. You don't you don't often uh, eat dinner with the championship ring on just to let her know that it's still there, <laughs> it's still lingering. Well, what's funnier is my freshman year we won the when we won the national championship. She played at BU, oh, and no. we beat BU in in the national championship game. So <laughs> the first time she came to my apartment, I had all my trophies and rings and, and whatever sitting on a mantle in my uh, my place and it was like the first thing that she pointed out she's like you couldn't have put that big ring away for the first time showing me your place I, I, I'm, <laughs> assuming, like, I'm assuming I'm assuming that one I brought it out and shined it I guess this is a dumb question but which one hurts more do you think <laughs> I think the national championship yeah that's what I figured that makes sense um so now I beat a lot more teams to get there are you as involved sort of with the player uh representation by I'm assuming talking to her about what should happen, what change should be, or do you have any ideas of what should happen with the, the player union moving forward? Yeah, I think she does a really good job. Um, she did a lot from a contract standpoint of getting us, um, you know, previously we didn't have workers comp and things like that. She, she put a big push, which some people understand some don't, but that's huge for us from a, just a, a quality of life standpoint. Um, and she works with lawyers to, to, watch out for our best interests as players, not necessarily from the league. So she's not an employee of the league. She's an advocate for the players. Um, and I just, I think she's got great ideas. Everything she does, I agree with. So I come to her and complain all the time and expect her to fix things on the spot. But unfortunately it's not that easy. Um, but she, I mean, she listens to everybody. I'm not on the player, um, the PA board, just because there's a conflict of interest there, I guess. Um, but she has a board with two representatives from every team that, that she works with. So, well, interesting. Oh, go ahead, Ryan. I Sorry. was actually not not to. I wanted to continue going with that. I also noticed that you guys are big on suicide awareness. You want to talk about any of the foundations that you guys work with? Yeah. So I previously was an uh, ambassador for Project Semicolon, which is a pretty big uh, movement just in our society. The semicolon tattoo and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I lost a friend when I was in high school to suicide. I lost my uncle uh, a few months ago. Um, and, and so we're both pretty big on um, just raising awareness around it and um, getting people to, to start a conversation. And then I also have recently partnered up with the Kyle Pavone Foundation, which is uh, a foundation that raises awareness about drug use and, and overdoses. I had a friend that passed away in August um, from an accidental overdose. So they're hard conversations to have. They're obviously not, you know, the smiley bright, no, never. um, organizations, but, um, something that we're both very passionate about because it's hit close to home for the both of us. Yeah. I think it's always something really important to talk about. Uh, when I did use my psychology degree, I wrote my master's thesis on suicide prevention. And one thing I really noticed was it wasn't as much as we do our best to try and discuss that, that really hard topic, it is, uh, it's something that really needs more exposure. And if anyone ever really needs help, I wanted to just get it out there that you should always reach out and there's always someone out there to talk to you. 
But now that we've talked about the dark yeah, stuff, sure. um, we can get back to the fun, <laughs> the fun hockey things. But I felt like that was an important thing to bring up. Um, Greg, I yeah, know you were about sure. to ask a question. So sorry, I cut you off. No, you're you're good. Uh, I I'm right there with you guys on any anything to bring a little bit more light to it and let people know that the resources are out there for them if they so need them. Uh, Madison, my question is back towards the hockey side. You, I I, I think the uh, the kosher way to say it is when you're on the ice, you you let like to know or let the opponent know that uh, your presence is felt with authority. You you play more of a physical game, so I'm always curious as a power forward type player, uh, how exactly you prepare for the game. Do you think that your sheer physical presence on the ice is a factor on a night in night out basis? Um, I I like to think so. I mean, I think that I'm the kind of player, if you were to ask most people that have played with or against me, um, you love to have me on your team. You hate to, to not have me on your team. Um, but it's just kind of the way I've always played with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. Um, and I've had to, because I'm not the, the fastest player in the world. Uh, I tried really hard to get those quick feet and I couldn't. So um, you got to adapt to be effective. And I think that, you know, when I play with people like Kessel or Mie or, you know, Lawler, Russo, they're all quick, fast players. Uh, and the best thing that I can do is go in the corner and get the puck and get it to them and then get in an open spot. So um I think every every night I'm kind of looked to to be that person that's going to bring the grittiness. Um, and I'm fortunate to be, you know, a player of size where I can get away with that um, and, you know, stand in front of the net and kind of fight those battles is what I do well. It's just, it's funny using the word grit because I feel like it's a trigger word these days really watching is. hockey. Like some people, when you just hear grit, it's just like, oh, old school enforcer. But you're, you're kind of bringing a new edge game to it, right? Because you have a dynamic offensive game. It's just that you're also not going to be pushed around necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I think some of that comes from playing boys where I was um, not always the biggest player. I played boys hockey until I was 15 or 16. Um, and so at that age, I-, I had to learn to think the game faster than they could because they were all faster than me. Um, but then also protect myself. And I remember having a conversation with my dad. I had a teammate that just didn't like playing with girls. And, and he would, I would get in the car and cry. And so and so's picking on me. Um, and my dad was just like, well, it's going to keep happening unless you stand up for yourself. And, and so that's where I'm, that's kind of where that edge comes in, where, you know, I'm, I'm the first one in the crease. Someone takes a liberty at me or a teammate. I'm usually the first one there um, just because I had that stand up for yourself and your teammates mentality from the time I was, young and um that kind of comes into play all over the ice what would you say For like sure. I, I guess you're, you would say personally your strongest asset is, is sort of your hockey mind then other than your physical uh, physical play yeah I think I see the ice well I think that it I mean I can I can score but I think that scoring is there's a lot that goes into it right there's a little bit of luck there's a little bit of skill um there's a little bit of relying on your teammates to get you the puck so um i think that my ability to see the ice and then kind of like you said play with that edge um make me an effective player on a nightly basis and that that play that play got you to nashville this year right what was the all-star experience like for everybody it was fun it was in an awesome city we had a great crowd Uh, i had some family down there 
So we had some time that we were able to get out and see the town, but then also um, the skills competition they had in a smaller rink. So it was like felt like everyone was right on top of you. Uh, and then we got to hang around and watch the Preds game on uh, Sunday. And then afterwards, a lot of those fans stuck around to see uh, our skills competition, or I'm sorry, our all-star game. Um, so it was, it was cool. It was, it was the most fans that I've had in an NWHL game ever. So. Well, that, that just shows you the sport is growing, right? I mean, we've come to come a couple of Riveters games and every single, I mean, we came against the, was it the way, oh, it was the Buttes we, we went, uh, Greg. And yeah. the, it was packed. We couldn't, yeah, find, traffic, a, we couldn't find a seat. Tra- traffic was a bitch for us. And we got there right at puck drop and we had a hard time finding a seat. Oh, I believe it. They draw a good crowd. Minnesota sold out like almost all their games this season, if not all of them. Boston's packed every night. Um, you know, a lot of the teams draw a really, really good crowd. Yeah, I was. Um, I, I don't want to say surprised, but like all the crowds are into it. Every everybody has a jersey. I felt left out. I mean, I know I have a media pass, so I can't really root for you guys. <laughs> but like every single person has a Riveters jersey. Everyone is hanging out. It's it's a great time, and I couldn't recommend it enough, to be honest. Uh, but is there is what is what do you think the next step for the league sort of is uh, to grow in your own opinion? Um, I don't really know. I don't know, you know, the numbers behind everything. I think the obvious answer would be it's add another team. Maybe in Pittsburgh is a good market. But that being said, I think that um, they need to focus on the players and retaining, you know, good quality talent. Um, and keep putting a good product on the ice because, uh, like you said, the, the games sell out. It's because our tickets are affordable and people want to watch it because it's good quality hockey. So rather than just, you know, it'd be great to merge the leagues and have all these teams all over the place, but those things cost money. Um, and so they need to be smart, I think, about the expansion process and just focus on uh, quality over quantity because if they do that, then it will just continue to get hype and take take off. Speaking of expanding the league, the the Riveters and the Devils announced today a new partnership to make the game more accessible to uh, young girls throughout the tri-state region. Uh, we we talked a little bit with uh, Michelle Picard about this as well. How much responsibility have you taken on personally to not just make the game more accessible for girls throughout the region, but make it f- fun for them as well? Make it make it something that they're lacing up skates and they want to, they want to get on the ice every morning, just like maybe anybody else would want to. Yeah, I think it's huge. I think that, you know, in our region and even in other markets, I'm going to Detroit this coming weekend to run a clinic in downtown Detroit, which is an area that the NWHL isn't at. Uh, I think we've done a really good job of tapping into the the youth programs and and getting the word out for people locally. Um, But you watch, you know, Kendall Coyne is on the NHL network and now you, you see these videos of all these little kids who didn't know that girls played hockey and now they want to play hockey. Um, I think that it's huge anytime we can get out in the community and, and show that girls play that sport too. And, you know, if little kids have a dream and, and want to do it, they can. Um, and the league does a good job of making us accessible and kind of humanizing the players on the other side of the glass uh, where we're available to kids you know, after every game to sign autographs and talk to them and um, recruit is maybe not the best word, but, you know, get them interested in the sport. Yeah, no, that's important. Um, and then, you know, they want to try it. Yeah, I think the future of hockey and something we've talked about on our, our other show um, a bunch of times where 
I'm I'm personally worried about. I mean, I guess in Boston and Wisconsin, there's tons of ice rinks, right? But I'm from Long Island, and there's like four, maybe. And to get ice time has to be like a total, you know, not easy task. Uh, so I, I I'd always worry about kids and their interest in hockey and the ability to play hockey at a high level or getting them into it because, well, there's not that much, not that much opportunity as expensive sport to get into. So a program like this, I could see how it could help leaps and bounds for so many people to get into it. Yeah, for sure. I think you hit, hit the nail on the head. There's in Detroit or I guess Detroit's a perfect example. You can't go more than five or six miles without seeing an ice rink and out here they're few and far between. So, but the more you grow the sport and the more people that get involved, eventually there becomes a demand for that kind of facility. Um, and someone somewhere will swoop in and be a little kid's hero. <laughs> yeah, I think New York was, was supposed to get one and we just didn't do it. So great, yeah. great, great job on New York. Sorry, Greg. No, you're good. Um, speaking of speaking of the future and expanding the game, I, I don't want to bring a cloud into a, sun, a sunshine day, but Madison, have you thought about what your post-playing career is going to be like? Uh, do you think you're going to be still involved in the league? Do you see yourself coaching at a youth level, anything like that? Um, I coached the last two years. Um and I thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, but I think if I were to get back involved with coaching, I would want to coach a younger age group. Uh, there's a lot of pressure that comes with coaching that high school age group where they're trying to get into college and all these other things, and there's just a lot. It, it was draining a little bit for me. I, I'm not the right, uh, I think, person for, for that kind of job. Um, but I run private lessons and I, and I like working with the little kids. Um, but as far as getting staying involved with the league, uh, I don't know if I can answer that. Uh, there's been a lot of conversation about this being my last year. Um, I think I've got one or two more in me. So we'll see how I feel at the end of the season. But I'm not looking uh, at that aspect of it just yet. Well, let's talk about this year uh, since we'll, we'll talk about the present now. It seems like you've been having a pretty good year, but the team itself has uh, sort of struggled, uh, to say the least. How have you been dealing with the uh, the up and downs of the Riveter season? Um, I get asked this question a lot, and I think that the um, word I use most is frustrating. I think it's been a very frustrating year in a lot of ways, not just the losing aspect, um, but it just hasn't been what we thought it was going to be. I think that you know, I can have all the personal success in the world, but I play hockey because I like being a part of a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was in it for, you know, individual accolades, I'd play tennis or, you know, an individual sport. Um, but it's been frustrating. I, I, I certainly don't think that we've reached our potential. If you look on paper, we should be one of the best teams in the league. Um, that being said, we haven't found a way to do that. Uh, and I think that we, going back to that team that I played on in Brooklyn the first year, the Riveters, uh, there was an identity established that has kind of followed us from Brooklyn to Newark. And a lot of that came with, you know, Chad and, and the group that was constantly in the locker room. Um, and I think we lost that. I think that we lost who we were as a franchise. And I think that it's been an eye-opening experience for a lot of people who thought that it was just as easy as showing up at the rink and putting Rosie on and going out and playing some hockey. I've often thought that the hardest thing to do in sports is not necessarily win the title, but defend it. Because now when, when you win the title, you can do it almost without expectation. It can be a surprise. You can, 
you can catch people off guard. Do you do you find it a little bit more difficult? I mean, obviously the year has been tougher than last year, but it, did you have to change your mindset anyway to go from life is sweet, this is great, I'm the fucking champ, to holy shit, now I need to defend this? Um, I don't know. I think it might depend which athlete you ask. You know, I go into every season like it's a new year. Last year, I was just happy to be playing hockey. I had had hip surgery, and obviously it was a great year. We had a lot of success. But, as you know, a month after that season ended, we hit the reset button, and it, it's a new set of faces in the locker room. It's a new coach. It's a totally different gig. So um, I wasn't really looking at it even from a defending standpoint. I think every time, you know, I go into a season, it's a new year where I'm trying to win something, not necessarily to defend it. But to your point, I think – yeah, there, there is a different, you know, everyone's gunning for you. Uh, but I think that we lost that after the first month when we were losing games 6 nothing. So, we're, Well, Randy, it's obviously Randy's first year. Uh, when we spoke to Randy, he, he seemed like he was still trying to, I don't want to say get his footing, but I'll say that, I guess. He, he's adapting to the league. What has your process been like with Randy and his adaption, uh, adaption, his like coming to the team and trying to Im- import his culture uh, onto the squad? Um, rather I guess with Randy uh, what's he been like as a coach what does he what does he preach to you guys as a team um, what is his message to you so that's a tough question to answer um, because I don't really know how to answer it that's, um, that's perfectly fine I you could be like you could give me no comment I'd be like alright that's totally cool <laughs> yeah I'd prefer I'd prefer just I don't know I, I think that there's a learning curve with anyone that comes into coaching. I, I think I'll say this. I think there's a learning curve that comes with anyone who, who comes into this environment. It's different. He's never coached girls or women before. Um, and I think that there's a common misconception that, that girls are need to be babied or treated differently. Um, and he was often compared to Chad in the beginning, which I think was unfair to him. Um, but we're, we're athletes. We're not men. We're not women. We're just athletes. Right. Hockey players are hockey players is kind of how I look at it. And uh, we have to be treated that way or we're, I mean, it's just, we need to be pushed the same way that he would push the men. Um, and, I, and I think that that was tough for him to comprehend in the beginning. Um, I also think that there's been a lot of unfair criticism towards Randy because be that as it may, that a lot of people disagree with the way he's run things. Um, we also have to go out on the ice every night and perform, and we haven't done that. Uh, I think that there was a lot of frustration, and maybe rightfully so, with a lot of things that have gone on and the way that they've taken place. Um, but we haven't held ourselves at a standard high enough to be, you know, demanding different things when we just kind of folded up shop after the first month and a half of the season because we were getting blown out and there wasn't much direction. So uh, it's been, like I said, it's been frustrating. It's been challenging, but he's remained optimistic. And the reality is everyone makes the playoffs and we can come alive in the playoffs, win three games and win the whole thing. And and maybe that changes the whole experience of the year. Um, But it's, you know, I don't really want to get into the that's totally nitty gritty of Randy. By the way, uh, for for saying I don't know how to answer this question, you just nailed that. You killed that question. So yeah, uh, that was an amazing job. Thank you, uh, Greg. I'm out of questions. Uh, after you, buddy. Uh, I guess I just 
I just want what you think is the uh, the funniest locker room story that you are able to share in a public forum. One that won't get anyone in trouble, but will make some people laugh. Oh, funniest locker room story ever, or we could do ever. We we could, we could do what which uh, shooter's choice, whichever you choose. Uh, I think my, I don't know if it's funniest, but my best locker room story, my freshman year after we won the national championship, Megan Duggan was our captain. And Megan Duggan is like all about health and nutrition and taking care of your body. And, you know, didn't, I don't think I ever saw her eat something that was bad for you anytime I've been with her. So my freshman year, everyone was like, all right, well, if we win, if we win the national championship, Megs has to eat a cheeseburger from McDonald's. Oh no. And she's like, if you, she's like, Oh God, God, if we win, I'll absolutely, I'll do that. Absolutely. So that was like, not the motivation behind it, but like there was that little extra kicker that like, we're going to get to watch Maggie McDonald's hamburger. So we win, we come back to town the next day. We had uh, like a rally at the cool center. And sure enough, someone went to McDonald's and Meg walked in sitting in her stall as a cheeseburger from McDonald's, and we all got to watch her take a bite. She only took one bite. What? I think it's cheating. No way. But, like, Did you she, rag she, she, on like, her for she's years? Like, Guys, I can't. She's like, I can't stomach that. It was pretty funny to watch. No. <laughs> I would never let her live that down. You got to eat the whole thing. You, yeah. won, you won the title. <laughs> all right. It was pretty good. Well, Madison, if you're a, if you're a connoisseur of bad eating like I am, uh, and you ever want to try something good, Sherwood Diner has the Greek goddess dressing. If you haven't had it yet with French fries, you are missing out on life. I don't even know what that is. Only, you're, only, you're, only Connecticut. Only, it's uh, it's by the ninety-five interchange on uh, right. Post Road. <laughs> Sherwood Diner. We're looking for a good diner, so I'll have to check it oh, out. I've spent many a high school night in Sherwood Diner, and it was can only imagine. It was worth <laughs> it was worth the nine dollars every time for those milkshakes and fries. Nine dollars <laughs> for a milkshake, it, bro. It's it's it, it's Connecticut. Everything's a little bit more expensive in Connecticut. I don't bougie. know what to tell you. A little bougie. He got fries too. That's true. Fact to fact. <laughs> that's true. Madison, thank you so much for dealing with us and coming on this podcast. Uh, why don't you plug out your Twitter and and where people can follow you? My Twitter is at Madison underscore Packer underscore. Double underscore. I like it. Double underscore. All right. Awesome. And people can obviously find Madison Packer on the Riveters. Uh, you could, there's a Twitter feed for almost every single one of their games. If you haven't gotten to a game, please do. It's a wonderful time. Uh, it's great quality hockey for a cheap price, and the crowds bring it. Uh, anything else, Greg, before we get out of here? No. Nah, Madison, thank you so much for jumping on. It's been fantastic. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Until next week, goodbye, everyone. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.